must be your skin that I'm sinking in. It must be for real, 'cause now I can feel, and I didn't mind. It's not my kind. It's not my time to wonder why everything. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud Base Mayhem. I haven't talked about our subscription model and how that all works in supporting the show at the top of the show in quite some time. We have it at the end all the time, but I'm sure many of you get to that point and have heard it and move on. So I thought I'd drop this into the top just as a reminder of how this all happens at the Cloud Base Mayhem. We rely on you rather than sponsors to make all this work. I think digital media these days is mostly supported through. Sponsors and ads and that kind of thing, and I'm finding that model more and more and more toxic. And I also don't want to fill the first ten minutes of your、uh, listening time, and which is valuable with trying to sell mattresses and that kind of stuff. So we like to cut right to the chase and get into the talk. But to make all that work, there is a lot of expense here, and a lot of time, and a lot of effort, and editing, and all that kind of thing, and music, and storage, and website. So to make it work, we rely on you. And as I've always said, all we ever ask for is a buck show. However, we don't put anything behind a paywall. If you can't support the show, and I, again, I don't want your support to the show to dig into any other aspect of your life. I'm only looking for support from people who can truly afford it. Don't want it to cut into your lattes in the morning or anything. So. But if you can support it and you can help us out, we really, really appreciate it. It makes all of this work. You can find all the ways to do that through the website cloudbasemayhem.com. We have a set it and forget it way, either through the website or through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasemayhem. You can buy buy merchandise. We have great Patagonia T-shirts and recaps. Trucker hats that are awesome. Always have new stuff coming in all the time. I've actually just placed a big order for refilling the barrels there, and so you can do it that way. You can also buy the book, which we've just released. That'll be shipped in April. Advanced paragliding. You can find all the ways to do this again on the website. And if you can't support the show, I totally understand. You don't need to tell me why. Just send me an email, and I'll get you all set up with a lifetime account. Again, we don't put anything behind a paywall. What the subscriber Side of things does is give you access to all the bonus content, which we put out pretty regularly.、I、haven't been so great about that lately, but we've got some great ones coming up, including a full kind of tutorial on using SkySight with Matt Scudder, who is the main developer behind SkySight down in Australia, sailplane pilot and now paraglider pilot. And a great. Podcast with him that we recorded recently that we'll have up in the bonus material where he takes you through kind of like Lisa did for us with XC Skies. He takes you through that whole platform. It is really powerful. They are doing some wonderful things there at SkySight. I think this will become if it's not one of your go-to's right now for weather, it will be after watching this. So yeah, reach out. Thank you so much for your support. It really does.、Uh, Make this job a lot easier. It makes me smile. And、uh, let me know if you've got suggestions for the show.、I、take those very seriously. We are quite backlogged with suggestions, of course, but I I do get to them. I do reach out. We've got tons in the can right now. I've got shows that'll take us all the way through the X Alps, so we're well set up there. But 
Uh, I'm enjoying it. I enjoy your comments and your suggestions and your emails. And I love, of course, hearing from all of you who tell me that the, the show has either saved your life or kept you from having an accident or just made you a better pilot. That's why we're doing it. That's very exciting. Top of the show tip this week comes from Josh Cohn. Enjoy. So we've got two questions from Eric Bader. The first one is, when thermaling, if you fall out the back, is it better to crank a steep turn to get back in the thermal quickly or carve a nice turn? Would your be, answer be different on the windward side? Um, so the main thing I think it depends on is how steep the lift gradient is at the edge of the thermal. So if it's a pretty smooth transition, then yeah, carve a nice turn. And also if it's kind of light tropical sort of conditions, you'll often just need to do a really flat, smooth turn to not, to not, you know, to still be going up, especially if you're low. Whereas if it's, uh, you know, well-defined, tight, strong core, then, then crank it around. And then in terms of the windward side, yeah, typically, typically if there's significant wind, the core on the windward side is more well-defined. You pretty much want to, like, as soon as you start hitting that windward edge, you want to turn pretty quickly to to not totally fall out. But it's often not it's often not super not super sinky on that side either. So whereas on the downwind side, it can often be more turbulent and sinky. So I don't know. You want to avoid falling out either side, I guess. All right, second question. When in a spiral dive, is the drogue chute better than tucking feet under the harness and spreading the knees to use the pod as a drogue chute? If it is better, is it a lot better? Obviously, the drogue chute does not freeze the crotch, but is it worth it? So I had a drogue chute for a bit, and I just never got around to using it. And then I asked the, and like was looking for a place to put it in my harness and asked the designer of it where he kept his, and he was like, oh, I don't use one. So I don't know. It seems like they do a good job of making spirals more comfortable. I don't think using the pod probably works as well for that, partly because you have to sit up, which changes your whole dynamics in the harness. Uh, but I haven't really tested that, so I don't know. Uh, thanks, Eric. Okay, hope you enjoyed that, Josh. Cool advice. My guest today is Rico Chandra, Swiss pilot who embarked on a 1,000K solo vol biv last year. This was his first bivy. It all went uh, swimmingly. And just uh, he reached out and said, hey, I did this kind of cool thing. We should talk about it. And, man, we had fun with this conversation. Really interesting guy and uh, had a blast with his bivy. And his approach was great. And he also has a lot of – he had takeaways both from the bivy but before then on just safety and how to approach things that – I really found super useful and has a bunch of kind of like guardrails and rules to keep it between the lines, as Chris Santa Croce says, that I think are are great and talks about having a superpower that I loved. And by the way, the music you heard in the opener here was produced by our guest today, Rico. Please enjoy this conversation with Rico Chandra. Rico, uh, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for reaching out this last week, and I'm excited you uh, 
got to hear that show with Tim and sounds like you've just been doing some really cool bivy as well. So I'm excited to hear about what you learned and what you're changing and how that all went. And I guess you're in quarantine, so we got plenty of time for this one. And you just got back from South Africa. Tell, let's start there. Tell me about what you were doing down in Cape Town. Well, thanks for having me, Gavin. Hi. Uh, I was I was in Cape Town for three weeks, almost four weeks, kiting, flying. It's, you know, from Europe, it's just a you get on the plane in the evening and you wake up in this more or less same time zone in the summer. So I'm not, I don't really like the cold. So I was down there kiting and flying and enjoying good food. Not too much wine. They have a pretty serious lockdown. Um, absolute oh, wow. prohibition of alcohol. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Huh? This thing's just so different everywhere you go. Yeah, it keeps their hospitals um, less full because they have a lot of alcohol-related um, Oh, of course. Yeah, right. How's the flying? Um, I, you know, it's beautiful, but it, the Cape freaks me out in terms <laughs> of flying. I've, I've, it's super strong and windy. I think, I think if you want to, I think what you have to do there is just go serious cross country, try to do records, but like to go for small cross, like 50 Ks, 100 Ks, that's, uh, it's just, you know, scary with, with the wind. There is a lot of wind, you know, sea breeze that cuts in and it's, I'm, I'm always sort of freaked out to fly down there. Right. Yeah. And then you get in the water and you gotta be freaked out about the sharks. I've spent quite a bit of time. No, I'm, I'm cool with that. The the shark anxiety sort of went away. Nice. So, hey, for those who are listening who don't know you, uh, let's give a real brief of your background. When did you get into flying and what brought you to, to Volbiv? And before we, you know, how much experience do you have? I started flying 28 years ago and made it through these 28 years without, without injury. I dabbled in, in comps gosh, uh, in the, in the late nineties, stop doing that. Cause I'm, I'm claustrophobic, claustrophobic. I can't, I can't deal with other people getting close to me. It, it uh. drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> so, so I've been flying XC mainly since then. I, I wasn't in the higher ranks of X contest until, until 2020. Uh, I, I guess there is something to be said for the lockdown and all the other stuff going away. I had time to fly and didn't have to worry about, do I go out tonight and have a few drinks with friends and get home late and, or, or do I go flying? It was sort of clear this year. So, so I, 2020 was like the first year where I ended up in the higher ranks of the X contest. And what do you, what wing do you fly and where's home? I fly as you know, and home is Zurich, Switzerland. I, I used to travel a lot for work to, to Washington, D.C., but um, now Zurich mainly. And what's your, what's your work? Uh, I, 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 we started together with a bunch of friends. We started a, a, a company 13 years ago in the uh, security industry, hmm. um, selling border monitoring systems to governments. Hmm. 
and uh, been been doing that ever since. It sounds like uh, COVID's had some kind of unexpected benefits for you. It, what what's it been like for you the last kind of nine ten months? That's been great. <laughs> I um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I tend to be someone who's fidgety and running all over the place and and trying to do ten things at once and for me i mean i'm i'm sorry for all the people who you know got sick and, and of course or, or had serious consequences but for me uh it was you know calm a, a calm time and I, I really had a you know a great 2020 and, and the flying's been absolutely fantastic we had great weather here in switzerland and and um had a couple of really nice flights i had my Volbiv trip in August. So this this has been one of the better years for me. Yeah, tell me about this Volbiv. You thousand k or something? Where'd you start? Where'd you end? How how long it take? Let's get into that. I I took almost the, I I took the month of August off. Um, was on the on the road or on the on the track for about twenty five days. Started in Zurich, Switzerland. My plan was to go east. Slovenia, Ljubljana was the original goal. It didn't go exactly according to plan. Like when I started, the weather was, you know, foul. Uh, and 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 one week into the trip, I was, you know, not 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 very far from home, and at the same time, Slovenia put. Switzerland on the on the on the quarantine list mm. like you couldn't enter the country so I'm like oh, what do I do now and, and, and instead of going east I went west and made it to Fiesch had a great flight there which sort of gave me the inspiration to head east again and, and then um, and then I did indeed go all the way to to Slovenia to to Ljubljana more or less or where the airspace of Ljubljana starts nice what was the kind of style of the trip did you have any rules or did you have any or was it just kind of winging it um i i thought about the rules and and you know i thought about yeah like do i take do i take cable cars do i do i do i hitchhike do i sleep in tents do i sleep in hotels and i i figure i'm going to do it uh, mainly out of my own, you know, on my, you know, walking and, and flying. I'm not going to hitchhike. I'm not going to take the train. But if there's something, you know, a, a, a cable car or some trans means of transportation going up to that launch that I want to go anywhere, and anyway, I'm I'm, I'm going to take it. And th that's kind of how I did it. In terms of, were you solo? Yeah, I was solo. My my girlfriend came to visit me on on a couple of weekends, which was nice. Cool. Um, I I took along a tent uh, until I lost the tent poles. And uh, <laughs> did you did you leave them behind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, one campsite one morning. I I I just I guess I didn't pack them in, and 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 then you had uh, a nice tarp. Well, you feel kind of stupid, right, with a tent without tent poles, and uh, and uh, but 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 I I I I traded that against a, a bivy bag, but I didn't 
you know, I, I, I found out pretty quickly that I sleep much better in hotels. I, 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 the, the tent or the bivy bag was just to not have to worry about anything. I, I decided I'm going to fly the way I want to fly and, and, and not worry about where I'm going to sleep until I'm on the ground. And if I find a hotel or, you know, a farm or someplace where I can sleep, great. And if not, I'll sleep outside. It's just more comfortable if you've got a hotel room and, and, and charging up your equipment is there is something to be said for that also, because uh, I didn't take along any solar panels or, or, or the like, or quick chargers. So I was quite happy. And in the Alps, there's always some place to stay. So were you kind of, was your approach uh, just launch, fly as far as you could, and then deal, and then figure it out? You yeah. Know, you, didn't, you didn't have any kind of, okay, I'm going to try to get here or there. It would just, you know, take advantage of the day. Yeah. Take advantage of the day. Exactly. Cool. I, I had a sort of plan for the route, which I sometimes stuck to and mostly didn't. Did you, had you done bivvies before this or this, was this your first? No, this was my first, this was my first uh, bivvy, like 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I, I spent, uh, you know, maybe um, a night or two wrapped in my wing, but, but I haven't done full biv before. And, and I, you know, when I was in my twenties, I certainly wasn't keen on doing hiking with my uh, wing on my back. Tell me about your kit. Were, were you flying the Zeno for the bivy too? Yeah, that was definitely a mistake. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. Just because of the weight? Uh, the weight is the least of the problem. It's, you know, launching out of, launching out of launches where you don't want to get your line stuck, you know, you want, you or, or when you don't have, you know, if you've got slight downwind, tailwind, um, there's, I, I, I guess the zeolite would have been the perfect wing and I was, I tested one, but for some reason, I had this this philosophy of you have one wing and you do everything with that. Mm. So I took the the Zeno. I didn't want to compromise on the flying, and I took the Zeno. But you know, also in terms of packing, the Zeno doesn't pack down nicely like the Zeolite does. And then also landing the Zeolite, you, you can really get into tight landing spots much better than with the Xeno. The Xeno is not bad. You can, you can flap down pretty good, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't take the Xeno again. I'd go for a, a lighter hike and fly wing. Yeah. So just lighter, easier to manage launch and landing, yep. easier to pack. Yeah. What about, what about harness and other stuff? Like you said, you didn't take solar panels or charging. What was the, what was the thought there? I just didn't want to be bothered. I, I, I always felt sorry for, you know, when I see pictures of solar panels hanging out on the front of the, on the, the cocoon, I thought, gosh, I don't want to have stuff dangling around. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm here for the flying. I'm not necessarily here to do, you know, prove to the world that I'm the world's greatest adventure sportsman. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do great flying and, and then, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to mess with solar panels. 
the harness I had was a lightness too, which which was good for that purpose. There's loads of space to to pack stuff in, especially if you take out the protectors. Hmm. And what were you using for instruments? I just had my my iPhone and the Fly Sky High app and the Xe Tracer Mini Two. Hmm. The solar one. Piece. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's a great piece of kit. Yeah, it's I awesome. That. You never I had to a, charge it. Uh, an inReach with me and a Flymaster uh, Sky, what's it called? Sky Tracker? You know, one of these tracker things. Yeah. Flymaster. Yep. Anything once you, well, tell me about the trip itself and then I'll ask you more about kind of what you learned on the way. But so, so you started at home and got down to fish and then turned around and started going east. Exactly. Yeah. I got started from home, spent the first five days more or less walking with uh, the occasional hop in between. Then um, had the weather started getting better as I made it to fish, got in a, a, a decent sized triangle there and then headed east um, via, you know, crossing from Switzerland into Austria, then across the Timmelsjoch into, into Italy, and then from Italy back into, back into Austria near Cillian, and then, or just a second, Italy back into Austria or near Cillian, and then Back into Italy by Villach in Austria. Mm, yeah, down in the corner from, there. Yeah, then from into 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 Slovenia across the Gradil Pass. Is that down? Is that right there at uh, Triglav? Mm, it's 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 not exactly where Triglav is. There's a mountain called Mongart, which yeah. is well known. It's um the the first place the it, it's like north of Bovets and uh Tolmin. Yeah. Uh, got you. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit a little bit further east. So you kind of you went as far as you could in, in Austria, Austria yeah. and then and then, and then dropped down into south. Slovenia. Yeah. Maybe we could get a, a track log or a picture or screenshot of, of your whole route and we'll put it up in the show notes for, for those that aren't familiar with that area because of course those all those names you just said I know because we have spent so much time over there, but many, many don't. That's a nice route. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had never flown Slovenia until this, after the last X-Alps uh, went with my family and we stayed in there for about a month and Sorka and some, I forget some of those launches, but we, you know, we'd fly down that ridge line and then into Italy and then keep going into Italy, which is pretty wild. And then back and it's just the most amazing out and back. It's gorgeous i mean the soka river and oh such beautiful a, just yeah. like man where who dropped yeah. acid in my punch today <laughs> cool man yeah i thought i thought it was i found it really intimidating oh yeah i i found it really intimidating slovenia you know coming in uh from 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 the north you know high mountains lots of wind tight valleys uh there's a stretch there where you can't land and then and then also the the last leg from from tolman from Co i think kobala is the yep. the launch to 
to where the airspace of Ljubljana starts, the, the place called Skofia Loka. That's just a stretch with, you know, so Slovenian valleys with the heavily forested and not, not generously equipped with landing sites. That was, uh, yeah, there's some, a, a bit edgy in the end. It's, yeah. it's, it's very treed. It's one of these places. I, I don't know if you've flown, you know, when you, when you leave Slovenia and go into Italy, when you're doing that kind of classic mm-hmm. out and back, you, you cross Jamona. And you get into a zone there where, you know, I was, I was flying with a, a guy, Mike, who'd done it a bunch of times. If I hadn't been with somebody, I'd be like, what the hell are we doing? There's nowhere to land. You just keep going. You, you know, yeah, it's going to work, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just like, holy shit, this is deep. And uh, I just, I don't, I don't think people expect that in Europe, you know, in, in the, in the X ups, you have, you get in this mindset where you, you just keep pushing no matter what, cause you know, there's going to be an LZ, but man, in places like that, there's not, I mean, you, you could, there's those little lakes you could, you know, which are, there's trees all the way around them. And there's like these little damned lakes where you, I guess you could probably burn it in and then man, you're in for a shit of a hike and there's no roads. There's nothing down there. There's no, there's no trails. There's at least that I could see from the air, but you, it's uh yeah, it's a little intimidating. It's, it's weird because it's, it's like the locals just know it's going to work. And if they have the right winds and the right sun and everything, you just keep going. But you're like, man, I hope this works. Yeah. For me, it was the end of the trip. So I thought, well, you know, worst comes to worst, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll land in a tree and, and, you know, I don't need the glider anymore. That's sort of the self-talk, some of the self-talk I had in those. <laughs> okay. We're going to leave that in, but uh, I, I don't know if that's, it, it's, it's like my thoughts about Monaco at the race. I hate Monaco so much, but you know, my, Bruce, my supporter in the 2015 and 2017, he was like, you know, you got to stop thinking like that. Cause he hated it too. He hates Monaco. And he's like, you know, this isn't really the attitude we want to have. Cause that's where you actually want to oh, get. No, no, but, but, but you can, you, you can leave it in. Because my um, my attitude, as you'll see, I'm 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 super safety conscious, and and uh, that's you know that's some of the self talk to deal with anxiety while flying. But but I'm I, I'm I'm really I'd say safety conscious, and and I wasn't gunning it, and uh, yeah, I've I've given up on the rule of thumb. There's always a place to land. If I don't see a landing, an LZ where I think I can get in, I, I don't go on, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll land and walk. Um, that, that's one of the rules of thumb that I sort of, you know, that you'll all, you can always, you'll always find a place to land. I've, I've given up on that. I'm, I'm too old for that. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, let's get into that. Cause that's, that's a good one. Uh, I'm more inclined towards that as well. You know, especially since my days with Will Gadd and the Rockies, you know, it's like, Ooh, uh, this is a long ways. Well, are we sure we're going to make this? And, but you, you wrote when you reached out to me about this baby, you wrote that you know, there were mistakes made as there always is. And I think there is on just normal flights as well. So let's get into some of that. What did you learn? What were the takeaways? So mistakes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of analytic about this stuff. And, and so I group the mistakes into procedural mistakes and tactical mistakes. The procedural ones fall into two categories. The first, and this is, this is, this is embarrassing. It's about losing stuff, <laughs> but yeah, like losing my temples or, or losing my cap. But I noted pretty quickly, if I lose an essential piece of gear, 
that really sets me back or that's the end of the trip. So yeah, it's not like uh, you're. It's not like you're taking extraneous things on a bivy. You, no, you've got. You, not, you know, you don't. You don't have. You don't have extras. You know. Yeah. So I I got really pedant like I got really pedantic about every time I I got up I like pedantically double check did I left something like conscious consciously check did I leave something behind mm. or I consciously. Uh, make sure my like the zips of my pockets were closed that I'm not losing stuff. And it, there is really only two ways to to not lose stuff when you're when you've unpacked somewhere and, and, and packing up and heading to the next place. And one is you have a checklist, and the other is you make sure you nef- left nothing behind. And the left nothing behind works pretty well. It, it, it's a fast one, but it means you have to first of all when you're unpacking not be, be a bit mindful where you where you unpack and and have it sort of in a confined zone the stuff and then also consciously check um when i let, when i lost my tent poles it was i'd already started walking like 10 meters and thought ah oh, should i just turn around and do a final check and i just said to myself no i you've got so little gear what's there to lose Um, (laughs) the classic you know i i had a uh i had to learn this the hardware the very first day of the 2015 race and and we'd actually practice this because my team knows that i'm a space cadet and you know but you can imagine you're in a you're in a hurry you're in a rush you're trying to do everything really fast and the first day we had a big flight landed and i just dumped everything on the grass. And then later, of course, you know, there's a missing glove. My Bluetooth earpiece was gone because it's tiny. I didn't have it tied in. And, you know, so I've learned now with Bivy, my first thing that comes out of the pack is my little tarp. And I just put everything on the tarp in the, 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 yeah. yeah, And in the race, I don't have a, 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 tarp so in the race it's on my jacket so the first thing is jacket comes off and all the stuff just gets stacked onto it because like you said you have to make it part of your procedure yeah, you got to be yeah. pedantic about that, it or you that's just lose good stuff with the jacket i like that yeah, like just because it, well, there's grass, you know, a lot of times in the Alps, especially there's pretty tall grass and it's so yeah, easy to just misplace something yeah. little, even tent poles, they just, yeah. you know, they could disappear. <laughs> also, also I like make, made a, a point of, you know, carrying my, when, when undoing my pack and, and, and setting up to fly to, to carry my canopy up from where my stuff is dumped on the ground to not be covering up you know spreading my glider over stuff that i know yeah that's a big one the glider recovers all kinds of stuff another day i think that's first race i i think i took off one time and i dropped i had the camera some device i had like three things under my way left behind i was like sorry red bull can you bring me new stuff yeah (laughs) whoops yeah. So, so losing stuff, that's, that's one you can fix by having good process, like procedures. The mm. other procedural one where I was constantly messing up was resources management. So under resources, I think of things like water, food, charge, you know, having your devices charged, um, hooking up your P-tube to fly, uh, washing your lot. You know, I had two sets of boxer shorts two sets of of t-shirts always you know sort of one clean and and, and one drying from washing it 
getting that stuff washed, but also stuff like downloading the maps and the apps before you actually run out of cell phone coverage or figuring out, you know, the how this map app works before before you get I, I I was like somewhere in the I remember I texted you hey Gavin what was what was the app that you use for yeah. the map because I was you know my my three map apps were not giving me what I wanted and I was in the <laughs> middle of somewhere and I, so that's when I reached out to you on that mm. and thanks for 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 the recommendation the right way to do it obviously is to practice with those apps and maps and download the stuff before getting going it's it seems obvious but it's just uh i was constantly getting all sorts of resource management wrong yeah i i'm glad you brought that up because i think it's so easy to you know have the checklist and check them off before you go but you know like even the inreach you know it's one thing to turn it on and turn on tracking it's another thing to use it effectively and oh yeah in an emergency situation i mean how many people turn those on and just can't even find their latin long to to you know and and is it in the right format to tell somebody on the other end and just little things like that and with the, with the mapping we always actually have training days for me before the race even though i've used them a million times and i've used them on all the expeditions and stuff like i'm really familiar with gaia and some of the other things we use but it takes you just got to always reorient to it unless you're using it all the time so if you have even a little fake you know uh bivy in your backyard and just fake it for a couple hours and and set yourself little tasks just on foot mm -hmm. then it really helps yeah yeah absolutely and also like the charging sequence when you get to to a, a place where you can charge your stuff and what sequence do you, do you charge your stuff yeah, and then then you know you spent the rest of the day editing your GoPro footage and stuff like that, and th there is a sequence like the resources management is figure out what the right sequence is to to mm. doing stuff, and, and there's so much you can do wrong on that. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I mean, I think that there's you know when you have the solar panels hanging off your cocoon stuff, you know Ben Jordan style. I, you know, there's there's a place for that, but there's also you know with a with a decent external battery and you know if you're doing a bivy in a place like the alps and assuming you're going to get to a hut or something every three or four days you really don't need a panel and yeah. and the other thing is you know just with an extra battery i think you do need the extra battery and the you know appropriate yeah. cables um but definitely i've never on on even the longest of my bivvies have I ever needed to charge while I'm flying. You know, there's always mm -hmm. in a bivy, there's so much time in a day where you're sitting around in the morning, making coffee, whatever, where, you know, a little seven or nine watt panel can go, can do a lot of good. But then if I was doing one in the Alps, I don't think I'd bring one. I, don't, I just don't think it'd be necessary. You, you wouldn't bring a, a battery or you no a solar a panel i bring a battery. i bring a battery yeah. always you need a battery you, know, you, you need a battery like a yeah. power bank bank and oh by the way you mentioned food uh or you mentioned like making coffee i didn't even i didn't take a stove i didn't take oh. stuff to cook because in the alps there's always some place to get i, I had like enough food for one meal and water yeah. and a, a couple of like um, power bars or whatever, but there's, there's in the Alps, you'll always, 
you always find a restaurant or, or a farm or something and, and they'll give you food. So I didn't, I didn't want to mess with, with, with cooking, by the way, in the show notes, we can also link to that. I did, I did like a, a video diary and we can link to that on YouTube and there's oh, cool. the entire list of stuff I, I took. Oh, great. Um, tell me, let's, let's move on to, so you got this kind of procedural stuff in Those resources, which is super bad. Yeah. The procedural mistakes, the tactical mistakes there, there were sort of four, four kinds that I made. And, and I mean, there's obviously a lot more, but those, I, you know, makes no sense reviewing them without a map, but there is four sort of general ones, which are independent of topography. One is giving up, you know, often I, I, I did give up, uh, due to fear or discomfort and that probably applies to XC flying in general, sure. where you've you've had enough and, and you give up. So, so you, you classify that in this, in these instances as a mistake. In other words, you were, you were kind of just over it, but it was probably definitely good enough to keep going. Uh, it's, it's a slippery slope. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it is a mistake if it's due to discomfort, like if you're giving up due to discomfort because uh, you didn't, attach your p tube or you've got cold fingers or you're freezing copy yeah fear fear can also be a mistake you know sometimes when you're on a when you're on your own you get scared just because the 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 rocks around you look very intimidating and you're alone and 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 if there were other paragliders there you wouldn't be you wouldn't be afraid so it's kind of a mistake, but I, I'd be careful. I, it, it's a, it isn't a bad mistake to make. But the consequences of 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 landing too early are, you know, I sort I sort of thought, well, that that's not going to kill me. That I might lose time or I might look sure. stupid, but that's not that's not a big deal. Height management, height management was like um, landing, landing high taking off, launching high, landing high is sort of a no-brainer, but but oftentimes I realized I could have landed higher, but went, you know, um, didn't think I'd make the glide, but then I'd already started gliding for the lower landing side. And launching, I have this this rule of thumb, like, you know, when you're volbiving how, or hike and fly, how high do you hike up? before you launch when when are you high enough to to hook a thermal and fly uh, my rule of thumb for that was th- this wouldn't be applicable for 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 the x alps but for for myself if you're like recreationally flying then my rule of thumb is i want to hike up high enough that if i bomb out at least i can walk up another mountain and don't have to walk up the same mountain and that that for motivational purposes, that's like, I think that's a really good rule of thumb. Oh, I like that. So you, so you would get to a place where you're like, okay, I can see that if I don't hook anything, I'm going to be able to glide to there. And that's going to get me to a different launch down my course line a little ways. And it's going to be manageable energy wise. Exactly. Cause there's, there's launches you, you walk up to and then you launch and you land you know, 
and, and the only option you have left is to walk right up to well, where you, you want to be. And that, that uh, oh, that's not good for motivation. Yeah. <laughs> then other tactical mistakes were map reading, uh, trusting the GPS reading, um, you know, of my, of my iPhone. That's not always correct or not reading the elevate, misjudging the differences in elevation on the map. That's, I did that a couple of times. Are you talking while you're flying? You're, no, just, okay. no, while hiking, okay. while hiking, actually. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. yeah. The the other, the last bullet of like tactical mistakes is when to rest. You know, since this wasn't a, ra a race, there'd be, you know, I think there were three, three days um, every week or so. I'd say, mm, weather's not so great. I'll rest. And I think I, I regretted it all three times because oh, really? the, the, the next day was even worse weather. And, and, and so, ah, okay. <laughs> it, yeah. Resting the decision to rest. I, I think if you can, if you can, if it's good enough to make distance, then make distance. It's, okay. So maybe, maybe better self-assessment, you know, okay, well, yeah. you know, rest would be nice, but I don't really need it right now. I, th yeah, I think we exactly. just do have to be tuned in to, how switched on are we? Because rest is important for sure. And Bivy takes, you know, it can take a lot out of you. Yeah. Although, you know, if you, if you put in a, a rest day, then you, like by three o'clock in the afternoon, you've caught up on your blogs and, and, and emails and, 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 and you've charged all your equipment, washed your clothes, and you're like, what am I doing here? You know. <laughs> so, yeah, rest. <laughs> Let's move to your hier hierarchy thing. And this is cool. It's yeah. Five types of outcomes of bad decisions. Talk about that. So bad decisions, like some of them, so, some of the stuff we talked about, it's, it's got different outcomes. And I, I grouped those into five categories. The the worst being getting hurt, then one step below getting hurt is losing or breaking equipment. Mm. Then one step below that is discomfort, which could be like cold or rain or, or hiking. Blisters. Blisters, that stuff. Then the second lowest was losing time. And, and the, the lowest on the hierarchy is, is like looking bad. I mean, this is, we're human. I, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I did feel pressure, you know, having, having blogging about this and, and having people follow me on live tracking. It's nowhere near the pressure you must have during X Alps, but um, it, it, you know, bombing out isn't a feeling of, I'm so awesome. And, um, and, and so, but, but sort of, I, 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 you know, decisions have, have, have consequences and those consequences fall into these five categories and the way, the way I, the way I dealt with those categories was what, like, I absolutely don't want to get hurt. And I, I'm really going to try to avoid losing or breaking equipment. And the rest of the stuff, I'm not going to worry about. Um, I'm not going to worry about discomfort or hiking because if I 
if I was worried about discomfort, well, you shouldn't go on a Volbiv anyway. <laughs> I wasn't going to worry about losing time because I, one of the reasons I was doing this is sort of to to uh, face up to my own fear of missing out and, and, and chill. So I'm, I'm not going to worry about losing time. And looking bad, like or or looking like a fool or feeling like a fool, like I decided to completely let go of that. And, and one thing that helps with that is is blogging because then you're you feel more like a journalist and you can write about your feelings, which makes the blog more interesting for those reading it. Sure, and it gives you an excuse to you know to you know it improves your content if you're not doing well. So so that's how I dealt with those how I sort of group those things. So all I wanted to prevent was getting hurt or breaking or losing equipment. And did you have, is, is this a good segue? Is that, is that where the rules of thumb come in? Yeah. So the rules of thumb that I have, they applied to, to flying more generally. So, so it applies very much to Volbit, but some of it just applies to XC flying in general. And, you know, there is a lot of questions that you don't know when you don't know when you're learning to fly like when can i jump into the lee of a mountain or or you know how long can i edge out um how how long can i remain in the air when there is a a, a storm brewing when do i need to go land and you just don't know these things nobody teaches you and, and, and so I, I guess I started out oh, years ago, I guess, with, with just setting up. So a couple of rules of thumb, like hypothesis. And, and then I, I, I wasn't necessarily pushing all the way to, to, to the border, but just testing those hypotheses. So, so for example, when you're one of the most common added dangers, I think, Volbiv brings is edging out storms like how long do you how long does it take you for you to say no nah, this is this is that cloud's too dark I'm I'm gonna go land and and the rule of thumb that I that I use there is <laughs> so so take this I I, I got it I, I feel I have to put a disclaimer on this because I don't think you can just apply this to your own flying without having, you know, tested it as a hypothesis for a long time before applying it. But the rule of thumb with storms is as long as there's blue sky above me, I'm still good. So I think, I think I even learned that from someone, uh, but you know, it, I, I picked it up and had it as a hypothesis for the last 15 years and for the last 15 years I've been every time I fly or see others fly I've been testing whether that hypothesis is true can you is it is it okay to have the rule of thumb you can fly as, as long as there as long as there is still blue sky above you you're good and for all I've seen so far that rule for me works pretty well when it comes to you know, the clouds are getting big or getting tall. How long do I remain in the air bef before I go land? So I'm, I'm not suggesting people 
follow these rules, but I'm suggesting it's 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 worked out for me to set up rules of thumb and and observe over years whether those make sense. And mm-hmm. and one of them I had to give up, which was there's always going to be a place to land. I, I, I decided that is not true for me. There's not always a place to land. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I, I want to see where I land before committing to a valley that I fly into. Mm. Yeah, I would, I guess I would put the disclaimer on the blue part with, uh, you know, every situation is different and you said yeah. that, but you know, I can think of a few times you know, certainly in the, in a desert environment, which is very, very different from the Alps, you know, we can get massive cells a long ways away and still that be in our cold air. Exactly. Just, it, well, yeah. it's just, if you can stay in the air, you might be okay. But if you decide, there's no landing. you know, that you yeah. need to land and you get hit in that gust front, it could be very blue where you are, yeah. but you're suddenly the, the one, the one experience I've had in the Alps that was similar to this was, um, we were flying from fish, uh, in t- down to kind of Coor, and then we ma- actually made it over, and we were heading into Davos, and yep. So down the Rhine, basically, mm-hmm. and we were on the, I think we were on the north side of the Rhine, heading heading east, and all day there was a huge cell on the Italian side uh, that would have been kind of down towards Saint Moritz, but yeah. on the on the Italian side, mm-hmm. and really, really big. You know, this was one of these where it, you know, it it went up into the upper atmosphere and started spreading out. And where we were was just brilliant. It was really beautiful, but we kept, it was, I was with Bruce and we kept talking to one another going, what do you think of that thing? Man, I don't know. It's getting, it's really vertical. Well, yeah, but it's at least 40, 50 miles away, which is unusual to be able to even see in the, in the Alps, you don't get that tall most of the time. And so often Mm. these cells are, are you know you don't even see them you know they might be on the other side of the of the of the main spine of the alps and you don't even see but this one we could see because it was so big and it was so tall and but it was just brilliant so at Coor, okay let's keep going and we got over the range and you know davos is down below us and we were both like okay that's enough we've we've pressed this far enough and we both spiraled to the ground really fast and touched down literally about 30 seconds before the gust front hit. So this thing had finally exploded and, and started running down the valleys. And we found, we got on the train and we were heading back to fish and we found out there was, I think the Swiss open or some, some pretty big comp was, had been, you know, going that day and two people, I believe, I think one died and another one, uh, and ended in the trees because they got hit in that gust front. And so just again, you know, anecdotal, but it's, you know, one of these kind of, you know, there's always a, there's always an exception. And I think if there's big stuff around, you got to be thinking like, how how much time, how far can I press this? We certainly press it a lot in the X Alps. And there's been a bunch of times (laughs) where you're like, boy, that was close. But to be, to be clear, when I'm saying blue sky, I mean, blue sky and, Oftentimes, when you have that kind of storm, like you're talking about, the anvil yeah. really extends out far. And, and you know, the cirrus clouds from the anvil, that is not blue sky. So, okay. Oh, good. 
Okay, good, good it, it, difference. Yeah, that's that's important to mention. If if and and yeah, I I I believe there are probably exceptions to the rule, but it, the rule has worked pretty well for me. And and mm. oftentimes it's the you know with big storms, it's the anvil that that takes away the blue. And, um, yeah, no, good yeah. point. And it was probably I bet by the time we landed, well, I remember this because it started raining pretty quick. You know, so by the time we <laughs> by the time we were dialing down out of the sky, it was getting gray. So that, no, it's a good one. I like that. Do you have any other of these kind of rules yeah. of thumb? I have one which is applies mainly to flying as you mentioned like flatland flying like one one that works for me very well in 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 the flatlands like in in piedra Rita or in in uh in the northeast of brazil is like the the two zones like if i'm higher than 800 meters above ground i'm in you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm gunning it and if i'm lower than 800 meters above ground i'm in survival mode and um in survival mode the, there the rule of thumb that's you know that's a, a well-known one that i follow which is never leave lift to search for a lift so mm -hmm. if i'm and and for me you know the survival mode the, the border is strict 800 meters above ground i'm not gonna leave lift to look for better lift I'm going to wait until I'm higher than 800 meters above ground. And if I'm above 800 meters above ground, I'm, I'm going to snob anything that is slower than the day's average. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn in anything that's, that's slower than two meters, you know, that, uh, that's, that's going up slower than two meters or whatever the average is. For the that average day. Day. Yeah, that's and great. That's that sort of two gears that works really well for me in the flatlands also being disciplined on on the survival mode to not not be optimistic but be pessimistic and when i'm in the 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 upper layer i'm i'm optimistic and the opposite doesn't work out that well because you, you can't set a a height above ground or an altitude that, that doesn't work so well but in flatlands but i think you can well. still have I think you can still have that rule. I like that. I think in the, in, you know, when you're in the mountainous terrain, you just have a, a nice clean cutoff between survival and, and gunning it. And it, you know, cause I've, often we wouldn't have that 800 cause we're right on the terrain, but we're still really high, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're right over the peaks or something. You know, if we went out over the valley, we'd have 2000 meters yeah. or something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I like I that. I think you can still, I think you can still do it, but it takes, it takes more fine tuning. Am I which zone am I now in? And it's it's very tempting to not admit that you're already in survival zone, mm. or or very tempting to remain in survival mode too long too where long. you should be gunning it. I, I find it more difficult to to set a, a clear dividing line between the two. Let's return real quickly, Rico, to your 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 fifth. Uh, one mm -hmm. in the list of, you know, from bad to not so bad. The the last one was, you know, not looking like a doofus. And I mean, I, <laughs> you know, it makes you laugh, but it, I think we all struggle. You know, I mean, we're, we all have egos and it, mm -hmm. it's an important one. And, you know, I've been reading a ton of sports psychology books in the kind of run up to this race. Cause I've, you know, obviously the mind is the thing that is the most important, uh, you know, there's all, you know, there's the physical and everything else, which is obviously and skills and all that, but the mind is, is the big one. And, 
I'm wondering if you had any other tools to help you drop the importance of those kind of last couple, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to trash your gear. You don't want to lose your gear. You don't want to get hurt, but you know, we don't really want to care what we look like. Who gives a shit? You're the one out there having one and, and everybody else is watching you on live tracking, you know? Yeah. I. But it's easier said than done. No, I, but I think I have a, a, a real advantage here and that probably comes from, from flying for a long time. I, I think I'd even call it a superpower that I have, which is, I think it, I, I, I don't really mind bombing out or I do mind, but I think it bothers me much, much, much less than most people I know. And, and, and it really is a superpower and to, to have that, because if you think about it without bombing out, <laughs> this sport would not be interesting. We'd not be, we'd not be doing it. No one would. I mean, that's, that's what makes us appreciate the good flights. And, and for me, that sort of develop, I, I, I honestly think that's a superpower of mine. I, I'm not too concerned about, about that. And, and, and to see it that way, then even enforces that, you know, to think of it that way enforces, enforces it to be a superpower and, 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 you know, you can even think of it, you know, as, as, you know, actually I'm here to have fun while everyone else is competing. And for me, for me, that works really well. It's also a sort of luxury I have because I'm not working in this business. I'm not, you know, my livelihood doesn't come from this business. I'm not, I'm not an instructor. I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm not sponsored um, in mm. a big way. I'm not. I don't owe anyone anything. So I can just I can just be the recreational pilot I am. I think there's you know and we, we've talked about this on on recent shows, but you know when I look at the really consistent World Cup pilots, you know that that you kind of very often see in the top ten. Uh, there, there's one thing they have in common, and that's that they don't freak out when they bomb out. They, they've mm. been there enough. They've done it enough where they know that you're going to bomb out. We all bomb out. We all screw this up. And, you know, they just, it's just another day, another experience to put in your experience bag and move on. And, and, uh, I, you know, I've been, one of these books I've been reading lately, I've been actually just reading it cover to cover over and over again. Cause I love it. It's called the, the champion's mind. And it, it talked about, you know, that, that people that, really excel and succeed in, in sport or anything else, they dump mistakes immediately. You know, they don't, mm -hmm. they don't, you know, you think about like a football player or a basketball player, or, you know, it talks about Michael Jordan, you know, he, he was given the opportunity to make the game winning shot. I don't know how many times, you know, lots, but he missed it like 28 times, you know, a bunch and, you know, if he let that get him down, how could that he ever turn. try to make another game winning shot in the future? You know, you just can't, you just got to let it go and, and, and get on to the next thing. You're going to drop a pass. You're going to throw an interception. And if you, if you let that bug you, how can you play the rest of the game? Exactly. And, and our sport is one which thankfully it humbles all of us so often um, as soon as we get cocky or even if we don't. It, it humbles us. So, yeah, I'm I'm really good at 
bombing out and then enjoying the rest of the day, you know, enjoying the hike or whatever. In fact, one of the, in, in Alps Freeride, I, I, I don't know if you've heard of Alps Freeride. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's our team here in Switzerland. A couple of the really good XC pilots are in it. It's just in the Swiss Cross Country Cup. And, and there is a lot of excellent pilots there, but especially one of the uh, Serena Ronke, she's a, she's a, a young, um, you know, she's been flying for two years or so. Like she, her attitude is just really amazing. I've, you know, when, when we go flying in the Alps, when we go cross country flying, usually for me, it, it used to be um, you get up early, you get to launch, you fly and if you bomb out after 30, 50, 80, 100 kilometers, you go home. But no, she, she she walks up the next mountain and continues. To, if it's a good flying day, why would you go home? Why, why would you go home? You came to fly. So it's a good flying day. So make the most out of it. I, I, I found, you know, that that attitude to be super inspiring. Rico, before we move on to kind of the, the next thing, is there anything we haven't tapped into yet in terms of what you learned from the bivy? Any other stuff you want to pass on? Let me give you my take on why Volbiv carries some extra risk compared to just regular XC flying. Number one is flying into lee situations uh, that just your you need to get you know your your path that you're trying to follow or the place you're trying to go will invariably take you through lee situations almost every day. Then strong wind, coping with strong wind, landing in strong wind. Flying on days where you, you know, usually when you go fly, you pick the day according to the weather, but on a longer trip, you, well, you know very well from X, X Alps. So strong wind, uh, slope landings is something that an additional sort of danger that comes with Volbiv, edging out storms. And um, the last one is sort of on, on like when you, when you decide to launch somewhere, it's very easy to not see those couple of boulders that you think you'll easily clear, but if there's, you know, if it's not lifty and, and, and you come out much lower, you can really underestimate how quickly you can, you can crash into those because you're just a couple of meters lower coming in with, you know, trying to go out with, with tailwind and not clearing those boulders. So those are some of the added added dangers I compiled. Then there's, you know, the, the one about flying into lees. Is that a word that's used in yeah. English? Yeah, same yeah, thing. Flying yeah. into lees. So I, I try to, I, I don't have a rule of thumb for that because lees are, there's so many different lees and there's, what I, what I sort of tend to do the way I deal with those is first step, gather all data I can. So is it how strong is the wind? And, and that includes even while flying, looking up wind data from other wind station, how stable is the day? If, if, if the day is stable, the lee is going to be nastier. How much ground clearance do I have? Super important, you know, in a, in a, trajectory and through the lee especially the worst possible trajectory through the lee assuming a lot of sink 
how much how much ground clearance do I have and 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 can I sneak out of there? Is there a way to get out of there? So so analyze all the data that is possible and you know, is it while approaching the lee, is it is it bumpy or smooth? Is it is it sucking or or is it washing? And then once you've analyzed when when you think you've taken in every source of data that you have, sort of try to plan out what's the worst possible outcome if I fly where I'm intending to fly, what what trajectory is that gonna be? And and then if you're willing to, you know, if you map it out and say, even in the worst possible case, my trajectory will be more or less safe and, and I won't get stuck in a tree or slam into rocks, then sort of go with the flow, you know, go with the flow and, and be on the bees and, and, and uh, try to try to go fast. Yeah. What I found with Lee is there's often this you get into you it's fine it's fine it's fine and then you get into the wash zone or some something that yeah. you know obviously you can't see and and the the tendency right then is nasty i'm going to run and it's yeah. usually just a matter of pressing a little bit farther and i'm again this is not this is scary to make this as a generalization you know every every situation uh, is totally yeah, different yeah. but usually usually if you just keep going a little bit and press in a little bit further and hang on to the wing and then then it's going to turn into the lee climb and and that will you know but you've got to have again not always you've got to have enough sucking enough climbing sucking, to get you exactly. through yeah. the you know because you're going to hit it again you know when you get up if you start climbing and get mm. up above it you're going to hit that wind shear layer and so it needs to be strong enough to punch you through that but i think i think most important question for for Lee's and also other potentially dangerous situations is is it worth it? Is it is it worth it? I mean, is it like in if I'm just flying on an afternoon at a site, I'm not going to take that kind of risk because it's not worth it. I'm not going to take that risk even for an XC flight unless it's going to be one of the best flights I've done. It's usually not worth it, but there are situations where it's worth it because because you're, you know, because it's going to be a two hundred kilometer triangle or so. Then 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 I'm willing to take a, a slightly greater risk than I would. Otherwise. Yeah, and in those cases, like like Will Gad says, when you do that, and if you crash or screw it up, then you know we shouldn't have any sympathy for that. You know, that's it. We're knowledgeably yeah, 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 making yeah. that decision with with full knowledge of what we're doing, and that's that's important. And, and there are times where you, that that is what we want to do and needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super proud of myself that I've I've not hurt myself ever flying and I, I wanted to stay that way. So I I tend to err on the side of caution. I try to detect when I'm compensating skills with courage. I, I really try to avoid that. Mm. Because the the fact of the I mean the truth is if you if you chase this if you, if you chase it hard for a decade, you're likely to break your back in this sport. Mm. And that's just something I'm super aware of. I've seen it happen or it's happened to a lot of friends and I don't want to be one of them. And I'm, I mean, flying is really awesome. It, it's given me so much, but it's not worth it. it. It's not that good that I would 
you know, risk my back for it. And, and the fact that back injuries are likely if you chase it hard is, is just something I don't want to put up with. So you'll see me, you'll see me flying, taking, you know, more added, adding an extra safety margin compared to most pilots, just because I don't want to, I don't want to accept that risk. Yeah. I don't think anybody would, you know, after breaking the back go, wow, that was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that just, no way. So yeah, that's a good thing to, you know, kind of always have in your mind, you know, is it worth it? Rico, as we get here close to an hour, do you mind if we switch over, you know, we did this survey that we put out some weeks ago now, and I got all these fun questions and I've been kind of pinging people with, with various ones. You mind if I just ask you some random Go quick, for it. quick response? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was the biggest aha moment you've had with flying in the last year? I think I think probably to let the glider fly, mm-hmm. to to it's made it's more than a year it's it's one and a half years but I guess that counts also <laughs> um, it, it's you know early morning in in um, in Caico in Brazil you you launch at six in the morning and you have there was really not much out there and and no way to figure out where the thermals are just just following your intuition and letting the glider fly and you don't really know i i think letting the glider fly to to sniff out thermals is is like a an aha that's been um, I, it's taken me 27 years to get to that point what's the funniest thing you've ever seen flying either recently or ever <laughs> in geneva um I, I used to live in Geneva and, and there was an awesome flying club there. The the LZ is sort of next to a farm and there's 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 chickens there. And on a strong thermal day, someone said, Oh, let's let's take a chicken up to launch and then <laughs> and then and, and then let go of it in the thermals and and uh <laughs> And imagine all the other pilots thinking, you know, what, or, or coring the thermal and a chicken comes their way, like centering <laughs> next to them. And it's the kind of day where I swear, I, I swear to you, I, I saw swear a to chicken. God, I saw a chicken thermaling. Um, no one did it, of course. No, no one took the chicken up to launch, but that, that that's what comes to mind in terms <laughs> that's of That's a great one. Episode. What are your goals this next year? You know, you had some big flights down in the Sertau and you did this cool bivy where do you want to take your flying now i've been wondering if i should try to learn like the sort of x alps landing techniques you know the fly on the wall stuff kriegel has a, a tutorial on that although it's possible that those sort of landings are reserved for people who do you know 300 hours a year you know, shouldn't be tried by by people who aren't really professionals. That's but that's something I would I would really like. Then the what I strongly want to do is learn more about from from other pilots. I've been most of my flying life. I've been I've been flying alone, and now these these last few years I've been flying a lot with 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 my buddies in Alps Freeride. 
and they are just amazing pilots and I'm learning so much from them, learning so much about topographies and, 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 and different valleys and, and how to do certain stuff, speaking with other pilots also in, in, in the Swiss League. Um, they're doing a great job to sort of share information. There's really so much where I'm, I still want to work on then in terms of uh, accelerate, you know, speed bar technique. I think I can get much better in efficiently flying on my B risers versus pushing and pulling the, the speed bar, you know, with the, with the two line, I, I, I've been flying two line wings for two and a half years. And I, I think there's still so much for me to learn there. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's almost never ending. I find this always, <laughs> always get more efficient. Um, last one, Rico, if, if you could only make one more flight in your life, where would you go? What flight would it be? Oh, I don't know right now. There's, there's a whole lot of them. There's a whole lot of them, but right now we're in the midst of winter and, 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 and they're not, they're not taunting me. So I, 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 I asked me something else. That's <laughs> <laughs> did you did you enjoy flying in the Sertel? Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, it's great flying. I I um, I'm not good at the team flying bit. I I I'm I I I don't tend to get into a flow as a team. I just like to fly alone. But it's it's magnificent and uh, such good flying there and such good vibes when you land somewhere in the middle of nowhere and and, and uh chill with the locals and wait to get picked up uh yeah that's really awesome okay so this will be the final one and this is even harder so i'm, I'm ramping it up for you uh why <laughs> why do you fly i've thought about that quite a bit there is a couple of reasons one is it's nice to have a mission and flying gives you a mission and it's a nice mission because you're every minute or every spare afternoon you're trying to get out into nature and, and spending time with nature and and trying to do something that is not really intended for humans to do and, and trying to do it as, as best as you possibly can i think flying is one of the best best sports you could practice because you know if you want to have that sort of thing because it's you know it ages well uh where you're a couple of years older than me not much but you're among the world's best pilots w which sports is that possible you know you could you can and, and you're doing adventure racing xc flying there's no reason why you can't be an excellent xc pilot be 50 years old or 60 years old so that that it was a good choice it wasn't why i started flying but it's definitely why i'm gonna stick with it for a long time that's great rico what a joy man I'm, i appreciate it thanks for reaching out to me and and sharing with all of us your your adventure and very cool we'll put some stuff up in the show notes about that i'm sure and but thanks man i i, I appreciate it that was a lot of fun very welcome good good to see you again and, and hope next time uh we see each other it'll be somewhere at a at, at, at a launch and, and ready to take off absolutely let's do it cheers 
Thanks, Gavin. Bye-bye. When we rise, it's like the strawberry fields. I treated you bad. You bruised my face. Come love you. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but... For a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you Thank you.